Hello and welcome to episode 184 of section 138. Matt Chapman is a Toronto Blue Jay and the chaos is just beginning by the looks of it. The Blue Jays are apparently still involved in the market for Jose Ramirez, even though they now have a starting first, a third baseman. Ramirez apparently would go to second base. Um, the chaos is, like I said, it's just starting. And as you can tell, this is kind of an impromptu episode for us, we're on the road. But uh, guys, one hell of a morning waking up to news around 7 a.m. that the Blue Jays are maybe, maybe not getting Matt Chapman. And it kind of developed over the course of the next two hours until we finally got some sort of confirmation of the deal actually happening. And now we have even more chaos happening. Guys, how are you? Mark, uh, waking up this morning to another Carlos report, uh, Carlos Begra. I didn't know what to think. I think we were kind of all in the same boat. We were waiting for confirmation after kind of a misinterpreted Freddie Freeman report. And then when it came true, uh, you just look at it, and then you look at the actual deal now that it's complete. What a massive win for this team. I mean, there's no other way to put it. They get the infielder they were looking for. We know that they were um, pretty much trying to do that all winter. And now we're getting reports that they're still in on Jose Ramirez. I, I don't know what to think other than absolute chaos. And yes, again, it is a great time to be a Blue Jays fan, clearly. I got to be honest, uh, I'm still trying to process all this because you guys <laughs> were up when the rumors were starting. And then I like, I wake up and I just see that our chat is flooded and I say, uh, what happened? <laughs> and well, s- stuff happened. And this honestly, like to anybody that that criticized Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins at any point in their Blue Jays tenure... I'm sure you can find their Twitter or their social media, their anything. You can DM them an apology because they have made a World Series contender straight out the gate. Like this team from day one is now, even before this trade, I think it was it was an elite team. But to have a gold glove, to have a, a superstar third baseman, your second superstar third baseman from Oakland, this is a, uh, it's a very, very good time to be a Blue Jay fan. And like I said to you guys, we might be back here and, two hours if uh, Jose Ramirez is announced and (laughs) I like this is amazing it does not get much better than this we are so spoiled right now as Blue Jay fans so let's just break down the deal as we know it right now and as it is official the Blue Jays announced it you know maybe an hour ago now Um, the Blue Jays are of course getting Matt Chapman sending the other way Um, the main player going the other way the main prospect is Kevin Smith and then they're also sending Gunnar Hoagland, Zach Logue, and Kirby Sneed. Um, Gunnar Hoagland is also kind of the big piece in this equation. He was the Blue Jays' first-round draft pick this past season. Um, but, you know, he does have health concerns. He's someone who had to undergo Tommy John surgery um, last season in May before he was drafted, and that kind of dropped his stock a little bit. So there's some questions there, but those are really the two big pieces. It's Kevin Smith, who made his Major League debut last season, was just ranked top 100 prospects in baseball by Keith Law. And then it's the Gunnar Hoagland part. So um, knowing all that, and then also knowing his impact that he's going to make on the Blue Jays, I mean, 
he's a star player. Uh, he's a defense first guy. You won't see the offensive numbers that you would with a, a player kind of like Jose Ramirez, but the defense is where his true value is. I mean, he had a 3.5 war last season in Oakland, 23.2 career war. Um, his outs above average as a defender at third base is among the best in baseball. It's 99th percentile year after year after year, but the exception of the 2020 season, which was a bit of an off season for him, but you know, 60 games, small sample, small sample size, we can chalk it up to that. Um, 28 years old, he's got two more years of control left on him. He becomes a free agent in 2024. You look at the offensive numbers, like I was mentioning, right around league average last year, OPS plus of 100. 2020, better year for him offensively, despite the decline in defense that season, 120 OPS plus that year. And then going back through 2017 through 2019, rapid fire here, 111, 137, 127 OPS plus. Um, just all around good numbers for this guy. And, you know, if you look at the, the kind of ballpark effects of what Oakland might give to a player, it's a big ballpark. You know, it has a big foul ground as well, so it's tough to be a hitter there. But if you're considering his shift over to Toronto, smaller ballpark, smaller foul ground, um, I think we're going to see real offensive improvements from him in addition to what he offers defensively. So I'm really excited about this deal. Um, you know, they do give up a couple big, big prospects, um, a couple guys that may have been part of their future. But like we mentioned last episode, the Blue Jays are in a win-now mode. They're no longer in the mode of giving opportunities to guys who might pan out, might not pan out. Um, they're in the position of trading away prospects to get Major League Town, and we're seeing that here. And boy, oh boy, it's a fun time to be a Blue Jay fan. It uh, It is. This is, I'll be honest, the trade is, I think the Blue Jays, like, obviously they're going to benefit from this, but I think that Oakland almost undersold themselves because you could have easily thrown in another very good prospect or maybe major league ready player that could help them right now. But it uh, trade is done. Blue Jays, you look at what they gave up. Yeah, these guys could have worked out. But when you think about it, you are now getting a guy who solidifies the uh, the hot corner and, and he's going to play every day. Like last season, 151 games with Oakland. He, um, you know, 37 in 2020, not as many, but he's going to play pretty much every game, 156 in 2019, 145, 2018, like he's going to play every day and he's going to, I think the, where the one thing where we all disagreed was what to do with second base and third base. I said, leave Biggio and Espinal. I mean, maybe not the greatest idea, but now I think we're in consensus. Like this is, this is your major league ready player. And I think this all but confirms Freddie Freeman's not coming to Toronto. Like, I'll just put that out there. Like he's not coming to Toronto now, but this, like it is, it is a fantastic deal. And I just, I, I'm almost at a loss for words here because like, like it just, this team, if you can get a guy to hit 27 home runs in Oakland, which as you mentioned, massive ballpark, I can only imagine what Toronto does to him. And now you're playing on a winning team. You got to imagine that that's going to impact him at least psychologically. Now he's not the guy. I mean, we, we talk the Blue Jays don't really have a guy. They just have a million guys that can, can perform for them. But if you can do anything close to what you do in Oakland or better that, like, like it's going to be one heck of a season and, and not even one season. He's a arbitration eligible after this season, UFA 2024. I can imagine that, Blue Jays will pick that up, get two years out of him, potentially 
win a World Series with them. I mean, at this point, like, I think it's a legitimate prediction that they win the World Series within the next couple seasons. And the best part is, is it's still, and I, I'm pretty sure we've mentioned this before, the, the Blue Jays are not done making acquisitions. And all I can say is it's going to be a very interesting spring training seeing all these new faces. And I... I I would I'm gonna say it's very unlikely Jose Ramirez comes to this team, but I think it's unlikely. Like it 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 could happen. I would absolutely love it, depending on the return that the Guardians get. But this trade in and of itself, regardless of the larger impacts, I, I'm gonna put it this way: it's an absolute steal for the Blue Jays. Like you get a star third baseman for a couple years. It, it couldn't be better than that. I mean, yeah, this trade is huge uh, for the infield. And, you know, we talked about it going into the offseason. Mark and I were kind of on the same page compared to you, Jacob, as you mentioned before, about adding an infielder. And I think this, let alone, shows you why we believe this. I mean, they were in need of a somewhat Marcus Simeon replacement type of player. Now, of course, Marcus Simeon, you know, offensively wasn't, um, or sorry, Chapman wasn't as good as Simeon offensively, but we know that the Jays are doing everything they can to fill in those spots, and they did a solid job here uh, getting Matt Chapman. So after that, you know, now where you look at it is you get Matt Chapman, you get the third baseman, the infielder that the Jays were looking for this entire time, and you, and you don't lose Biggio or Espinal. That's the thing, and that's the thing I tried explaining as well, is that regardless, they are still going to be platooning at second base, and I think this is the best direction for the team entering the year barring any Jose Ramirez uh, trade rumors. So other than that, if we're going to leave that alone for now, I think that's a pretty uh, good infield to start it off. Wouldn't you say Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at first, a platoon of Biggio and Espinal at second, but we shut a uh, shortstop and Matt Chapman at third base. And that is ideal for um, upgrading. And of course, we all know the impact that he brings. I think he was, Matt Chapman was has been third in infielder war for the past four years third in defensive run saves since 2017 a three-time gold glover winner two-time platinum gold uh sorry platinum glove winner and of course when you look at the trade too i think jacob i agree with you on this one i think it is a massive one for the jays and i do think they kind of you know fleeced oakland in such a way because we've seen trades like this before the Josh Donaldson trade is obviously the one that comes to mind. And of course, the Jays rob Oakland again because they did the same thing with Marcus Simeon last year. But most notably, I guess, or the the one that's very similar is that Donaldson trade because that Donaldson trade was also a one for four where the Jays gave up four assets in return for Josh Donaldson. So there's a lot of similarities there and a lot of people are talking about that. But, you know, in terms of what the Jays gave up, I guess you can start with um, Kevin Smith, Kirby Sneed, and Zach Lode. Uh, or sorry, Logue, uh, all of them were are MLB ready. And pretty much with the Jays organization, they didn't get that opportunity to play or have that opportunity to be at the big league level consistently. So they go to Oakland. And as much as, um, you know, Kevin Smith, friend of the podcast and, you know, a really high ranking prospect in the Jays organization, he finally gets an opportunity to go to Oakland and play at the major league level consistently. So I'm happy for him in that way, as long as the other two guys that I mentioned, because here it wouldn't have happened. And then Gunnar Hoagland is obviously the main piece that's going back to uh, Oakland, or yeah, going back to Oakland in this type of deal. The first round pick for the Jays last year. Mark, you mentioned the Tommy John surgery, so concerns there, and uh, the organization's fourth ranked prospect as well in the top thirty. So that's the only wild card, I guess, of this trade. But again, when you look at it, the you know it's not a massive haul where you look at it and you really questioned if it was really worth it because that's pretty much the best piece the Jays gave up in this deal. And that's why it's a win. And of course you also look at it too. Now that the, 
The rotation's under control for the next, I think, five years. We all know the control that everyone's under. Maybe this also led the Jays in a way to feel more comfortable giving up an asset like Hoagland because of that control that the, the rotation has. Other than Ryu, pretty much everyone long-term, um, I think it's around three, four, five years that they're under control for. And, of course, the other main win in this trade is the fact that Aurelvis Ar- 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 Martinez, Jordan Groshans, Gabriel Moreno, or Nate Pearson, none of them are involved in this deal. And that's a massive win because, you know, you wonder if somebody like a Groshans could have snuck into a deal here for Chapman. I guess that was never pretty much out of the question. I never thought Pearson would be enough or a Pearson would be in a trade for Chapman. I think that's more if you're talking Jose Ramirez or different, I guess, trades that come up down the road. But in terms of Matt Chapman, I never thought Nate Pearson would be kind of like a serious name involved. But of course, somebody like a Jordan Groshans, I thought was definitely a reasonable or had a pretty good chance to be involved. And the fact that none of these guys were involved is a massive win because they're still here. You know, if the Jays plan to move them in the future, who knows? But the fact that they're still here as current assets is a massive win for them. So I mentioned the one for four that the Jays get, similar to the Donaldson deal. And the other thing maybe, too, that kind of directed them in this direction, too, is the fact that, you know, losing losing Marcus Simeon and losing Robbie Ray, you get two uh, compensation picks for that because the Jays gave him a qualifying offer. So the Jays get an extra couple draft picks too from this. And, you know, I guess it's safe to assume they can maybe go ahead and draft another starting pitcher or a couple too to kind of rebuild that in the farm system. So this is why this was an expendable trade that I thought the Jays felt very comfortable in. And it's a massive win for them despite what they gave up. So we know the Freddie Freeman rumors that happened over the last week as well. We know the report that happened. Lots of confusion on what Carlos uh, Beggar pretty much, like, I guess what he truly meant in that report, but it appears that some of the translation was off, which is why um, I think he kind of backtracked and said at one point it was 70% that the Jays were going to get Freeman, and I guess now that is pretty much almost at a 0%. But the one thing to be clear about is he never actually confirmed it Um, or that's what he says, at least, compared to what other people got the impression of. So, yes, I mean, everyone wants Freddie Freeman. Like, there's no question about what he brings to the table. And I thought him potentially coming here was a cool idea. The question was the fit in the lineup and pretty much the fit in the infield, and that was the biggest concern. So that's why you look at it, and even, you know, despite the fact that you're missing out on Freddie Freeman, as much as we would have loved him to come here, there would have been a lot of, you know, readjusting and shuffling in the infield that would have had to happen, including a probable move for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. to go to third base. And who knows how comfortable the organization felt about it, despite him being open to the idea. We really don't know. So you kind of avoid that headache. You go in a, you steer in a different direction. And the fact that the Jays are still not done this offseason, they're looking to still probably get a left-handed at-bat no matter who that is. And that's why I think they're still in a really good position here. So the one thing with Freddie Freeman I'll say is we know that two out of the four teams in the American League East remain in contention for him, which are the Red Sox and the Rays. I guess the only hope is that he avoids those teams and he goes to a team like the Dodgers. And I know that the Padres have been kind of looked at as a sleeper team. So hopefully he goes to the West Coast. And I will end it off here by saying Matt Chapman in 57 plate appearances at Rogers Center, a 368 on base percentage, a 563 slugging percentage, and an OPS of 931. And of course, we, we all know the defense, but of course the bat as well. It's going to be very scary with him at Rogers Center. And I can't wait to see him in this, the middle of this lineup. I don't know how you can't get excited hearing those numbers, hearing the prospect of Matt Chapman spending an entire season or at least 81 games at the Rogers Center. That is just so, so exciting. But it's, it's, it is really interesting to look at all the different 
ramifications of all these deals. I mean, you have one domino falling that is impacting every other team. You just look at, you know, take, for example, the Yankees deal for Iser Kiner Fuefla. That deal held massive ramifications for every team because that meant the Yankees were no longer in on someone like Carlos Correa. So that meant other teams that might want Correa. Maybe it's, you know, we've seen the Astros renew their interest over the last week. That team has a renewed chance. So we're seeing, I think, even more so than normal off-seasons because it's happening in such rapid succession, such a big impact of these dominoes falling. And I think we saw it with Anthony Rizzo going to the Yankees. Now the Yankees aren't in on Freeman. It was kind of down to the Dodgers slash maybe Blue Jays as kind of a sleeper team. You mentioned the Padres. The Red Sox were also in that conversation. The Rays were at one point. And I think we're going to see that again with the Matt, uh, the Matt Chapman deal. Um, he's just such a perfect fit for the Blue Jays. You mentioned how Freddie Freeman was you know, kind of a stretch. He would have had to move things around. Chapman slides right in there perfectly. There's no need for adjustment for him. So I think that's one of the things that makes this deal so, so exciting for the Blue Jays. Um, both of you said you kind of think this is the Blue Jays fleecing the A's, kind of a steal for the Blue Jays. I'm not sure I'm on the same page. I think this is a good deal for Toronto. But I don't think it's a slam dunk. I don't think it's a disproportionate um, you know, outcome that the Blue Jays are getting, that the Athletics aren't. I think there's a little bit of a middle ground there. I, I mean, granted, right now, if you evaluate this for the Blue Jays, this is a good deal for them to make. Given their current competitive structure, what they want to do this year, this is a good deal for them to make. But I don't think it's a bad deal for Oakland. I think Oakland gets Gunnar Hoagland, who, again, Top prospect in baseball. He's number four in the Blue Jays system as it stands now, or did stand, you know, two hours ago. Um, someone like, you know, Kevin Smith. Again, one of the top prospects in the Blue Jays system. So I, th- I don't think the, the A's are getting fleeced. I don't think the A's are, you know, losing this deal as a slam dunk. I think it's good for them. I think it's good for the Blue Jays. Um, I also want to mention the defensive impacts that Matt Chapman has on the Blue Jays. We mentioned how good he is, you know, outs above average, percentile rankings, all those kinds of things. But I think one thing that has been bounced around a little bit on Twitter so far is just the prospect of what he does for Hyunjin Ryu and the impact that he has on specifically Ryu in the rotation because Ryu is someone who relies on a lot of ground balls to the left side of the infield. And, you know, someone already posted a highlight video on Twitter of all the ground balls that went to the left side of the infield in 2021 that were not fielded cleanly. That should have been outs and would have been outs had Matt Chapman been there, but they weren't um, because they weren't fielded well by whether it was Espinal or, you know, Bravik Valera or Joe Panic or any of those guys. So I think that's something that we're going to see in just one of the potential impacts is that the Blue Jays pitching staff is going to benefit from all this. Um, I do want to ask you guys quickly, and I think this is an easy question. What is the defensive alignment in the infield now? Is it Matt Chapman at third, and then obviously Bobachet at short, and then a mix of Kevin Biggio and Santiago Espinal at second? Is that how you guys line it up? I, I feel like that's the obvious answer. It's like that for now, and I say for now because we could be talking about a little bit of a different situation in a couple of hours or a couple of days, but... As of right now, I'm going to say Espinal has the advantage over Biggio. Obviously, spring training still needs to take place. We need to see what we got out of both of them. But I think you, Espinal, it's probably going to be about a 60-40 split between those two at uh, at second base. However, you bring in an acquisition, and I think Biggio is, uh, is part of that deal. But regardless, I think, yeah, like the the infield is it's set like 100 percent set at this point. And I think that's why this trade is a little bit better than signing Freddie Freeman, because 
you don't have to move anybody. You just you slide them right in. So yeah, it's it's very uh very simple the way that the infield's now going to look. Yeah, I mean, this is something that I think we kind of, a lot of us kind of envisioned going into, I guess, even before the lockout, that this was going to have to happen next year where you have to add an infielder. So something along the lines of a Biggio Espinal split. I think, of course, spring training is going to have a, a massive impact on, or maybe not a massive impact, but some sort of impact on, I guess, the, you know, the reps that both guys are going to get. I think I, you know, I, I have a different opinion, Jacob. I think to begin the year, I think they do go 50 50 and they kind of just enter the lineup based on matchup of course you know the way the you know if the pitcher's a lefty or a righty lefty righty matchup or vice versa and then I think as it goes on they will probably move or go with you know the hotter guy and ride the hotter hand I think that's a pretty reasonable approach to take it as well we know that Kevin Biggio is coming off a massive um, neck injury or you know a neck injury that kept him out of action pretty much all of last year and of course Santiago Espinal who looks like he really bulked up over the uh, the winter I think it's saying that he almost gained or he was saying he gained about 15 pounds and he does look a lot bigger which is definitely intriguing to see so Right now, I think obviously they may be more comfortable with Espinal, of course, and Biggio is going to have to definitely earn uh, his playing time. But I think a fair assessment, unless anything changes going down the road, is that they kind of open it up on like a 50-50 to start. And then, of course, um, they ride the hotter hand as time goes on. And, of course, maybe there's a chance that it is like a 60-40, like you said. So either way, I think it'll be 50-50 kind of, um, I guess, in a at worst, if that makes sense. And then, of course, the odds go 60-40 and then where you kind of jiggle it for the rest of the way. So that's the way it does look now, and that's what Jacob said right off the top. What it looks like on opening day, I guess, after the Ken Rosenthal report, after this trade became official for Matt Chapman, it's safe to say that things can definitely change. Um, I don't know how legitimate it is or the impact that Jose Ramirez has now after the Chapman trade. Like, who knows how comfortable the Jays are going to be giving up another huge haul of prospects, which will come with having to get uh, get somebody like Jose Ramirez. So as it stands right now on March 16th for opening day on April 8th, I think that's your infield. And of course, we could have different answers in the next couple of days or weeks like you were mentioning, Jacob. But right now, a 50-50 split, in my opinion, to start the year. You ride with the hotter hand as the year goes on, barring any other injuries across the, the infield or whatnot. And that's the other thing, too, is that this infield now, if some sort of injury does happen, the depth is now there as well where they can jiggle things around and they can move people around. They'll have the flexibility to, you know, if there's days where Espinal and Biggio have to be in the infield, then they'll do it. And I think that's going to be a massive advantage to them too. And another thing for Kevin Biggio, assuming that he's on this roster on opening day, is he now doesn't have to worry as much about playing third base because if there's some sort of injury again or if there's like an off day for Matt Chapman, Biggio can slot in at second base and Espinal can play more or the bulk of that time uh, that's available at third base. So I think that's also a massive advantage too now that Kevin Biggio, who didn't really look very comfortable at third base last year when he did play in his limited games, he doesn't really have to worry about that anymore. And I think it's more likely that he gets reps maybe in the outfield the odd time as well. You, you can't rule that out. He's a super utility guy, obviously. Maybe some at first base. So that's definitely um, good for where things stand for the infield uh, as we head into spring training in a couple days. Yeah. Check back in with me in 15 minutes, and I might have a different opinion. But right now, that's what it's looking like. And uh, you know, you guys know my opinion about BGO. I think he should get the majority of the playing time. And I think, like you mentioned, Bryson, some stability and being able to slot in at second base is going to help him a lot. But let's talk about what's next, because Jose Ramirez is a thing that apparently might be happening. Um, 
We heard from Buck Martinez on MLB Network earlier this morning that apparently Cleveland asked for a package of Alec Manoa and Gabriel Moreno in exchange for Jose Ramirez in a potential trade, and that's a very big ask. Um, is it too much? That's up for debate. Jose Ramirez is, like we've talked about, a top five, top three player in baseball, so it's up for debate, but it's definitely a lot, and I don't know if the Blue Jays are willing to make that move, especially now that they've already upgraded on the infield in terms of match happening. So um, where do you guys stand on a potential Jose Ramirez deal that might be happening? Should it happen? Should the Blue Jays even dedicate much attention to it now that they've already improved on the infield? Or should they, you know, the other half of that question, should they turn their attention to the bullpen, which is still an area that needs an improvement? Um, you know, left-handed slash switch hitting bats, knowing that Ramirez is one of those, but left-handed slash switch hitting bats on the bench in the infield that might come at a little bit cheaper of cost. So what do you think the Blue Jays should do in terms of Jose Ramirez now that we know they potentially still have interest in him? You know what? I, why not go for him? Because I think what we've seen is this front office, they're willing to do, you know, they're willing to do what what you do in like your MLB the show where you just make as many crazy trades as you want and it as long as the ask does not include Alec Manoa I think I'm willing to consider it. Now, obviously, like you said, he's a very talented player. He makes the team probably the World Series favorite. I mean, I don't really know how much better the odds can get before they max out at 100%, but he'll, he would probably make this team the World Series favorite. But I don't think Alec Manoa is worth giving up. I just... Here's the thing. You have him for a lot more... Uh, years you, you control him for a lot longer he's shown promise like we're talking about how this team is in win now mode he can help this team win now like he's not oh we'll see him next year like if this was 2020 or 2021 I would consider putting him in a trade but now that we've seen what he can do I don't want to see Alec Manoa traded now that being said you don't give up Alec Manoa maybe you have to throw in a couple draft picks or a couple picks or a couple of prospects or current major league players on the team you know obviously like that's not including Manoa in a trade would come at the risk of having to give up more than potentially what you're expecting but check in on on Jose Ramirez is the best way to put it like see what you can do negotiate until you absolutely cannot come to an agreement or come to an agreement but try and not include Alec Manoa in, in a trade if possible and all I can say is if Jose Ramirez does become a Blue Jay watch out for the rest of the league like th this entire league is it's basically the Blue Jays league at that point if he comes to the Blue Jays and it'll like I, I don't really know like what are we supposed to say it makes the team better because at this point like they're a juggernaut and yeah but like the prospect of getting him is amazing and I think they should go for him should look at him obviously they I assumed that they were done after acquiring Matt Chapman but hearing that why not throw him at second base like it's <laughs> it, it's it's looking to be a very uh, interesting week for the Blue Jays like I said just keep Manoa out of a trade as long as you can and like throw in Nate Pearson throw in absolutely anybody else but yeah like th this is I think this like the bullpen is obviously going to be worked on but I think this is the last thing that the team should look at like the last big move before the season 
Jacob, just to give you an update on the cool bet Canada odds for the Blue Jays now. They are now, and you were talking about World Series favorites, they are now plus 1,200 to win the World Series, and that's their odds have skyrocketed, and plus 600 to win the American League. Only the Dodgers, Mets, and Astros have d- better odds to win the World Series. So they are quickly climbing up those rankings for the odds. Now, here, here's where I stand on Jose Ramirez, because you guys know that I have been like in full support of this going you know, prior to the lockout. And I guess the fact that this remains possible, I mean, I've, I agree with Jacob. I think this is something that they got to consider doing. However, Buck Martinez re- revealed, I guess, what the Guardians were apparently asking for prior to the lockout, which was the package of Manoa and Moreno that you guys discussed. I don't know if I would do it that package, but the thing that intrigues me with this, and I, I think it's pretty much obvious as well, is that, and so many people have discussed this, is that the Jays are the team, if they wanted to do it, they can do it based on the farm system that they've built. Now, it relates to this Matt Chapman trade because, again, you keep Martinez, you keep Moreno, you keep all those guys, you keep Groshans. Those guys that didn't go in the Matt Chapman trade, they are now, I guess, technically available in a potential Ramirez trade. But there's so many scenarios, too, where I look at it where I think a trade could possibly get done if they wanted it to, which is why it's not like kind of a strict this guy, this guy, this guy like only like a certain guys, because I think there's so many, you know, there's a wide range of people, you know, you start with Gabriel Moreno. Now this is a tricky one. So I know all of us, or at least I believe most of us before, I guess the off season started, we've talked about this prior. And I think all of us kind of agreed that he should be an untouchable as well as Aurelvis Martinez. I have some news to tell you guys. Um, I am no longer a hundred percent against it. Now, again, it's going to depend on the package. It's going to depend on what else is involved. But I think that this is something that the Jays need to listen on, no matter who it is. Now, Alec Manoa, I would not trade. I would not trade somebody who's in currently there. In terms of the prospects, I just think that anything should be on the table for them to consider. Again, you don't have to shop them. And I've, I've already discussed that. I think Nate Pearson as well I'd be fine with if he was potentially exposed in a deal like this because it seems kind of obvious that he would. The other thing you look at it too, I guess in relation to Moreno, is that they have three catchers right now on the active roster. And it's not ideal. I think Ross Atkins was saying they're going to be saved by it because they're expecting the rosters to be expanded by a few players for the first couple weeks of the season because of the shortened spring. So it feels like whenever the rosters do go back to 26 men that they're going to have to be there's going to have to be no choice but a trade and that involves Alejandro Kirk as well that involves Jansen although I think Jansen is going to stay and I guess Reese McGuire is potentially expendable but you know his value probably wouldn't match up in a Ramirez deal so there's scenarios where Kirk's involved as well and the other question now too and this Matt Chapman trade changes it all for me is that you look at the infield with Matt Chapman if let's just say they do get Jose Ramirez you have to assume Somebody like a Kevin Biggio would have to be involved in this deal now because they have the, I guess they can afford to do it. There's potential that he could be involved in one too. So as you guys can see, there are so many different scenarios that can be put together. But to answer your question, I guess in broad terms, Mark, I think that this is something that they should continue to listen on and continue to consider and possibly pursue because 
again, I don't like the the Buck Martinez report of the package that was offered, but I do definitely think there are different ways to get this done. And if that doesn't, if that's not the case, I guess in sort of a plan B option, we know that Kyle Schwarber seemed to be something that the Jays were going after. And unfortunately he signed with the Phillies this morning. And it appears this Ramirez buzz kind of came also after the fact that the team lost out on Schwarber. And now they've kind of pivoted towards re I guess, you know, revisiting the Ramirez talk. Cause this is twice now that we are aware that the Jays have tried getting him last year at the trade deadline and last winter prior to the lockout. Who knows what's changed? Who knows if the Guardians are really even chopping him? I know they're listening because Ken Rosenthal did kind of pour some cold water saying it's unlikely he's moved. So we all know that could be just a a tactic where, you know, they're saying that they're expecting to be blown away and then they can eventually pivot and make a deal. We've seen that so many times. So I don't know how much I really look into that. But anyways, alternatives maybe is that the team is in need of a lefty. We know Ramirez is a switch hitter. So a lefty, I think, potentially in the outfield, if it's not Ramirez, is something that maybe the Jays can look at. Michael Conforto is still or Conforto is still available. I think maybe somebody like him. You know, I know now we're moving down different tiers. I think, you know, Corey Dickerson's available. Jock Peterson's available. So no matter who it is, if it's not Ramirez, it's got to be a lefty to balance the lineup. I think that's obvious. So that's where I look at it from. And if they're going to pursue a lefty, if it's not Jose Ramirez, it's got to be an outfielder because... I just don't see it. I don't see the idea or the point of adding an infielder now if it's not going to be Jose Ramirez and create even more of a logjam. I guess at second base or throughout different parts of the infield. I think the outfield slash DH position, which is why Schwarber I thought was a perfect fit, can be kind of a way for the Jays, you know, a way for the Jays to work uh, around it by balancing the lineup. So somebody like a Conforto I think is a good plan B if because we and also. Again, who knows how serious uh, or how much this has changed since Chapman was acquired here. So that's why I think it's definitely a good plan B option, something like a Conforto type of player. Yeah, for sure. And of course, on Ramirez, the Blue Jays should always be doing due diligence. They should be doing more than due diligence. They should be pursuing this deal with their kind of, you know, guardrails, their drop dead points in mind. Like they, I'm sure they have as a front office, a mentality of, if this player is mentioned, we're not even entertaining it, that being Gabriel Moreno. And I think I'm on a little bit of a different page than you, Bryson. Like, yeah, the Blue Jays are in a win-now mode, but Gabriel Moreno is so close to the majors. Like, he's probably making his major league debut. We're going to talk about this at some point in the future, but probably like May to June-ish. That's probably when he's expected up in the majors. Of course, depending on how the Blue Jays catchers in the majors perform and what happens with trades, but... He's so close to the majors that I I think he kind of fits into the category of the win-now players. I don't think he's part of the kind of group of like Gunnar Hoagland, of Zach Logue, of Kirby Snead, although Snead is you know closer to the majors than the other guys. I don't think he fits into that category of prospect. I think he's the category of prospect that's knocking on the door. So for that reason, I, I don't want the Blue Jays to move him. Of course, there's no such thing as an untouchable. You could be offered a deal that... If Gabriel Marino is the only thing that makes it work and it's still a good deal, you move him. But by and large, I'd rather the Blue Jays don't move him and hold on to him. But um, again, it's about the trade-off of do you want to be winning this season or do you want to have a good shot of winning over the next five, six years that you have control over Gabriel Marino? So that's really the question we're asking. Um, okay, the last thing I do want to end this podcast on, and we want to make it semi-quick because there's probably going to be more news later today or tomorrow. Um, it's just, and, and this is, you know, totally off topic, but Red Sox fans are having a horrible day and nothing makes me happier than that. <laughs> <laughs> you look at everything that's happening with that team. First off, 
The Yankees are going out and getting people. They got Isaac Kanafalefa. They got Anthony Rizzo. The Blue Jays got Matt Chapman. They got Yusei Kikuchi. Those two teams now in the American League East have something like a 90% chance to make the playoffs. That's not exact. It's a little bit lower than that, I think, but right up around there. Meanwhile, the, the Red Sox are doing nothing, and nothing brings more, more joy to my heart than watching Red Sox fans implode. Um, another thing that makes them have a horrible morning is Chris Sale getting hurt. Chris Sale, I think he had a, was it a rib problem? Um, and he's not going to be able to... Stress fracture or something. There we go. He's, he's going to be starting the year on the IL, and you never root for a player to get injured. You always root for a player to perform at their best, but we can enjoy the ramifications of it in terms of the Red Sox not doing well and in terms of fans being incredibly frustrated. And then the last thing is just the vaccination status. That's been a you know, part of my language, but a shit show for them all year. Um, and uh, it, it's, so, it's so wonderful to see them struggling. It, it brings joy to my heart on a day where nothing else could go better for the Blue Jays. Um, to see the Red Sox struggling as much as they have so far, I am just so, so happy to see that. So I don't know if you guys have any parting remarks, but that's what's on my mind right now. Well, see, it's not even just the Red Sox. I'm sure we all saw the Aaron Judge interview where he was asked if he was vaccinated and he said he's just he's preparing for spring training. I mean, he could be a politician at that point with the avoidance of that question. But uh, it's just it's it's very interesting. And I think the best part about it is there is zero sympathy from the Blue Jays. Like Charlie Montoyo said, hmm, well, rules are rules. I mean, we had a, a spring training and a, a minor league facility as our home ballpark for two years suck it up like at, at this point who can't like uh, now the one thing i will say and th- this is not going to happen but uh, i just if anybody else has the same thought i'll just nullify that right now the blue jays are not going to go play in the u.s so that the americans or the people that aren't vaccinated can come into canada like that's not happening blue jays are playing in toronto 81 games matt chapman is going to be playing in most of those games if not all of them and if Aaron Judge, if Chris Sale, if all these players don't want to, to or aren't able to come to Toronto, then it only makes the Blue Jays have a better chance of winning the East. So it's it's very exciting. Well, it's not exciting that guys can't play, but or or can't play for these types of reasons. But as you said, the ramifications, the better chance of winning the game, definitely uh, puts a smile on my face. Yeah, I guess just to depart, if you if we're gonna like make this like an AL East kind of discussion, first of all with the Rays, they've been status quo. We know that they're in on Freddie Freeman. We'll see what happens with that. The Red Sox, I mean, they lose Kyle Schwarber. They're still in a kind of, you know, it just feels like they kind of been a they've been status quo. Besides the uh, injuries and the ramifications that you guys were discussing just now, the Yankees. I just want to say, first of all, as much as it sucks to see Josh Donaldson in pinstripes, that trade. It, for me just made no sense. Like I don't understand what the heck they were like they were we were talking the Yankees being major players for Carlos Correa and then Freddie Freeman and they managed to get away with a 2022 version of Josh Donaldson and then of course I mean Anthony Rizzo going back. So and Anthony Rizzo is a really good player, but I mean just all the talk that we saw from them it's kind of funny and it's kind of ironic just because it's a it feels like a typical Yankees thing. So I guess that's where we stand with like the three major players in the AL East. We know the chances for the Jays to make the playoffs were released by Fangraphs even before the Matt Chapman uh, trade. We're probably going to change now, but it was 89% to make the playoffs and 11%, almost 12%, I think, rounded up to win the World Series. And I think it was like 40% to win the division. So they're favorites right now 
That was even before the Matt Chapman trade. So going forward to close things off, Freddie Freeman, please go to LA. Please do not go to Boston. That would be horrible for him to wear a Red Sox uniform, so we'd have to hate him for the next six years. So I guess that's where I'll depart there. And of course, for people listening, the offseason's still not done, regardless of how impactful these moves have been. The Jays still need things in in certain areas of their roster, which is even more crazy to see that it's not even a lock that the same roster will be intact by tonight. Lots of stuff is going to happen within the next couple days, and we have to be on standby for anything. So I can't wait for that. And also the thing that's kind of been, you know, not really spoken about a lot is that the Blue Jays actually have a real baseball game in a couple days. So we have that to look forward to as well. And hopefully as many games as possible are televised. So that it's really a good point. And again, I'll say it to close things off. It is a great time to be a Blue Jays fan. It definitely is. And like you said, something that's been missing in discussions of the past two, three days is the fact that in pretty much exactly 48 hours from now, a little bit more, 48 hours and 30 minutes, we're going to have a game against the Baltimore Orioles that um, presumably is going to be televised. I don't think we've actually gotten the official spring training broadcast schedule yet from Sportsnet, but that's something that we're going to be um, looking for eagerly as well as the radio broadcast schedule. So um, yeah, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you to everyone who listened to this episode. We're very excited to be talking about the Blue Jays at this moment. As always, you can find us on social media at Section138Pod, and you can support us on Patreon as well. All right, we'll catch you next time when who knows what we're going to have to talk about. Catch you then.